Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, I'm impressed. You've got your Buffalo Bills swag on there you're wearing. After this weekend, a bold choice. So I sort of mourned the end of the reality of the Bills winning the Super Bowl after Von Miller tore his ACL. Like, it was... it. I don't want to sound fatalistic, but I just you, you you knew like the the AFC was too good this year. They had too many injuries. They were not playing very well on offense anyway. And when that happened, I was just like, you know what? They're not winning the Super Bowl. And when they when they everything happened with uh, Cincinnati at the end of the year and they didn't get home field advantage, I I kind of had it. I, I saw this coming. Um, so not not to sound like I'm the smartest person who knows everything, but like that was kind of my mentality since Thanksgiving. Well, I'll tell you what, as a New York Mets fan myself, the fatalistic feeling of the fans, I can relate to that for you. So anyway, 20 years of being a Bills fan will do that to you. It does not go away just because you have a quarterback that's good for three years. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go from the NFL. Let's get back to college football and more specifically Penn State football. And even more specifically than that, T. Frank, new wide receiver coach, Marcus Hagens. He's a Virginia guy through and through. What do we know about him? So I would start there because as a coach, when you're at Virginia since 2011, um, and there's two guys that I've found that made the NFL that uh, were receivers, there's not really much to talk about there. Olami Zacchaeus for the Atlanta Falcons is, is the the main guy that he's coached that made to the NFL and is, you know, surprise starter uh, be, because he was, you know, undrafted and is, is a really good player. Um, but that's not really what um, I guess you would say that from a, from a profile standpoint, his, his name is not going to be made by the guys he put in the NFL, kind of an under the radar thing because of that. Right. Um, and that's, I think, the, the surprising thing about this hire is James Franklin. In this situation, you were thinking, is he going to swing for the fence? Is he going to get a guy with a huge name that everybody knows? Or you can see, like, the list of guys he put in the NFL. He went more to recruiting. And this is a guy from Virginia that has ties to parts of Virginia that Penn State has not been able to get to successfully for a long time and a very talent-rich area. Um, so a good developer of talent at UVA. I don't want to undersell that part. But as a recruiter, he can help them in the region specifically where you look at how well they've done in Virginia, and, and it's really impressive. But apparently they can go even further in on that and uh, can get even more of the state, which is, you know, kind of their blueprint is dominate the region, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, D.C., Virginia. They've even started moving down into the Carolinas as well. So like the eastern seaboard, if they can pull talent from that area and this expands that sort of footprint i guess and it that area is so important that you mention as pennsylvania provides fewer and fewer top quality high school players maryland virginia that whole area is just rich in recruits and 
Penn State, especially down in the area that he excels in, which is, I guess, that Tidewater, Virginia Beach, Hampton Roads area, it's just flush with talent. And this guy who's done well there for Virginia, he's now got the Penn State name and brand when he goes knocking on doors there. Yeah, well, think about uh, people are leaving the Northeast and where they're going. They're going south. They're going to the mid-Atlantic, Florida, and out west more. So if Penn State can go to talent-rich areas with high, dense populations, everyone lives on the beach now, apparently. So you got to go out to the Virginia Beach area, and you got to recruit, and you got to have guys that know the area and that have a, a foothold in there. And if you look at, I mean, Anthony Poindexter um, and uh, Marcus Hagens, uh, two of the better players and, and more well-known names from Virginia, from the University of Virginia, uh, I, I, I think that they're good coaches. Like, I don't want to make this all about recruiting, but it is very strategic that Penn State uh, and James Franklin didn't go get a guy from Oregon or from uh, – you know, Iowa. somewhere out west. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or they didn't go to Nebraska to get a, a coach, or or you know, pill for somebody from from a Texas school. They went in an area that they they want to get into, and they want to has ties to the area and has ties to the staff. Uh, and that's another part of this that is uh, he and Anthony Poindexter have a relationship. So that uh, with James Franklin connections and trust and all that stuff is important so it was a you know you connect the dots and it makes sense even if you've never heard the name before a couple of years ago james franklin made the change from kirk Sharaka to mike yursich and i keep using that as the comparison and when he made that change i would say it was much more about mike yursich being available than it was he wanted to get rid of kirk Sharaka. yursich was the guy he had wanted all along if you had to classify this change, was this more about moving on from Stubblefield or was it more because of he wanted Hagens? Uh, my read has been more of moving on from, to, to Phil Troutwine from uh, Matt Limegrover, where you had a guy that was doing a, a good job and was getting you solid recruits that you felt like could help your program, but you were at a ceiling in terms of recruiting. And you wanted to have the guy that could do everything, be a recruiter, be a developer, be the complete package as a coach. And, you know, going from good with uh, Taylor Stubblefield to somebody who can do all of these things, that is, I think, really the, the reason. It, not necessarily that because uh, Biscuit, by the way, he goes by Biscuit. Biscuit Hagens uh, was available. You know, he's... There's nothing that says he was available. It's not like he lost his job or anything. Now, the situation at UVA last year, that's that's a tough situation, and you can understand if somebody wants to move on after everything that happened with a shooting on the team. But um, this is, to me, more about we need to get better and we need to make some moves at receiver. The interesting thing to me is, after reviewing everything, okay, right? That's, that's kind of how these... Uh, position coaches go because we know very little about staffs, right? We know very little about coaches and how good they are really when it comes to national other schools that aren't in your hyper-specific bubble. Like Penn State fans know Brian Hartline, right? And I think there's a sentiment that we didn't get a Brian Hartline. We didn't get an obvious upgrade. But the reasoning and the uh, advantages of uh, Marcus Hagens 
when you look at it and you kind of study his career and you, you find out from people how good of a coach he was at Virginia and he, you know, a Virginia guy who played there, stayed there through several coaching staffs. Those are the things where you go, okay, this guy might be a bit of a, a diamond in the rough, a hidden gem that was choosing to be at Virginia because he loved the school and he wanted to make a career there more so than a guy that was not progressing his career because he wasn't getting anywhere. Which leads to the next question. Getting this guy from Virginia, who appeared to be a lifer, I mean, he seems to be the anti-Stubberfield, who was went from job to job to job, which, which happens among assistant coaches. This is a guy who's been at Virginia for a very long time. Making this kind of change, is this perhaps Penn State also flexing some financial muscle that there is the money to hire assistant coaches away from another place. So I don't necessarily see that. Uh, it could be. It could be. And, and I don't know that specifically, but it, I, would, I would put a, a bigger name under that you know, box. Of they, they went out and they hired somebody away from a, a like program. Because, I mean, Virginia is a Power 5 program, but no disrespect, they are not on the level of Penn State. They, had, they don't have the resources. They don't have the, the ability to go in and recruit you know, and, and the opportunity that you have as a, as a coach at Penn State. Nobody's come, you know, people have come knocking for, for uh, Biscuit Higgins in the last couple of years. He's, he's turned them down. Um, and maybe, maybe money's a part of it. I don't, I don't know the specifics of that, but it, this to me seems more about fit, location, and school more so than he got paid a lot of money to leave uh, Virginia. But Truthfully, you make a good point. That could be that could be what ultimately moved him on, but I, I don't know that. Well, it does, I think, speak well of James Franklin and his reputation and the staff's reputation to be able to pull a guy. Again, if the guy is as good as his reputation appears to be, I'm sure he's had opportunities over the last several years to go to a larger program, a bigger program, but he waited and Penn State was attractive enough yeah. to draw him in. So I think that speaks well of Penn State and the culture that James Franklin has developed here. Yeah, and and to leave for the same job. Because if you leave and you're an offensive coordinator or you, you stay and you're an offensive coordinator, that's, that's different. You, you've moved up in your career. You've moved beyond being a positional coach. But moving to Penn State... Um, for the same job, like it's the same conversation James Franklin had about lateral moves, and I'm sure Virginia is not happy about that, and that they had a coach leave for a lateral move. Um, but for Penn State to be able to do that and to be high enough on the pecking order that somebody wants to go to a school like you know the one here in Happy Valley, I think that's uh, a good sign for where Penn State is on their trajectory of. Um, you know, of of a, of a program where Penn State needs to be closer and closer to that top 10, top 7. And, uh, you know, maybe they aren't there quite yet, but they're very close. The other element to this is looking at this from the schools in Virginia, uh, none of them could be happy. Uh, <laughs> I think Brent, Brent Pry at Virginia Tech can't be happy. The yeah. coaching staff at Virginia, not just that they lost a coach, but that recruiting battle becomes even tougher for them down there. That's a great point. It's something I thought of as well when uh, when they hired 
uh, another coach from Virginia. I'm like, okay, is this to combat Brent Pry at Virginia Tech now? So, like, he's got the same playbook. He's got the uh, same sort of influences, and now you need to double down in Virginia. And then when you look at, you know, the uh, – the I, I don't know all of these things. A lot of this stuff I, I'm uh, parroting from the awesome reporters at Blue White Illustrated and the work they've done uh, to get all this information. But when you look at all of it and you go, okay, so they're very good here and they're they're extending into a very rich talent base that they have not been good in. And they're trying to, uh, you know, I do think that there's a bit, a little bit of like the Brent Pry influence and squashing all of your, your competition in that area. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair thing to think, and uh, it is kind of funny. The problem's going to be they've got so many people from Virginia. Now they got to like keep that pipeline going because eventually these guys, Anthony Poindexter's an excellent coach. Like He's going to be a coach somewhere else soon. All right, on that note, we're going to finish up quarter one. Stick around. Quarter number two, we're going to take a deep dive into that wide receiver position. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim McGalanti along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, we spent the first segment talking about Marcus Hagens, the new Penn State wide receiver coach. Just one, one last point on all of that, and we were talking a little bit about this off the air. Penn State, the emphasis on Virginia, I think is smart as far as recruiting goes because even though it's a different state, it's the same region. Penn State's influence could be much greater there in the state of Virginia than it can be as as recruiting rich as Georgia and Alabama and Florida are, they're so far away and there's so much competition there. It'd be nice to dominate Virginia, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it's it's a really talent rich area. The the specific part, the the coastal part of Virginia, is an area that Penn State hasn't had as much success in, and it's also an area we talk about like the demographic change in America. All this is is population studies, right? So where is the densest population, which then produces the variables that you need for great athletes? Like it's not necessarily that that uh, that much of a, a challenge to understand that if people are leaving Pennsylvania, you can't just rely on just Pennsylvania to find great athletes. So going down into areas where people are moving, and that's why I mentioned, you know, kind of half-heartedly joking, but also seriously, 
Penn State has done more in the Carolinas, like in North Carolina specifically. I, I just think that if you are trying to get into those areas, the problem is the farther away you go, the harder it is. And you mentioned like at a certain point, it's just hard to get to state college. Like that's one of the biggest problems is you're not getting direct flights at, to anywhere but like Detroit. So you need to be able to get to a place that has uh, a transportation hub and, you know, getting down to Atlanta and filtering through Atlanta. And Penn State has been pretty active in that area. These are all strategic things because people live in Atlanta now. That's where they, they don't live in the Northeast Corridor as much. So um, the, the Tidewater area of Virginia is a talent-rich area that is similar to the South in a lot of ways. And being able to tap into that as a region within your regional recruiting, I think, is, is smart. And it's deploying your resources, right? So you only have so many resources if you're James Franklin. So deploy them correctly and get the, maximize the value. And as someone who has lived in Virginia, T. Frank, it's not similar to the South there in Virginia. It is the South. <laughs> Trust right. me on that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let, one last thing. I'm on. sorry. It's actually, yeah, sure. I, I just want to say one last thing. We talked a lot about recruiting here. He is a good coach. Like I feel like I underemphasized that. A guy who got a lot out of his receivers of Virginia. And I didn't spend a whole lot of time on them because there, there are not any good receivers that wanted to go to Virginia. But getting the most out of those players, he has been able to do that. So that's going to be the biggest thing is, does he get a lot of that out of really good receivers? And he does Does he make them um, great to elite, good to great, whatever you want to do, whatever measuring stick you want here? I don't know that it's going to be about five stars. It's going to be about developing guys that have great potential. Um, and then we'll see if they can get you know guys that are that are elite talent and then he can do something more with them. Well, let's let's segue to the wide receiver position and talk about it. This is a uh, wide receiver group that was top-heavy in that Tinsley and Parker Washington were the two top receivers. Your two reliable receivers, they're both gone. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a new pecking order here with the wide receivers. And towards that end, we knew Penn State was going to go out and bring two players in through the transfer portal, and I should say at least two. And so far, it's Dante Cephas and Malik McLean. Dante Cephas, Kent State, highly productive there. Malik McLean, it's more about potential, and he's a big guy. He's six foot four. What are they getting with those two players in the wide receiver room? Cephas specifically is the guy. You know, that's the guy they're relying on to be the number one receiver in this offense. He's a great route runner and uh, excellent at getting off the line of scrimmage. His press ability to get through contact and get into his route uh, is really good. And, you know, I compared him to some of the good route runners in the NFL and that I've seen over the years. Uh, a little unpredictable. You know, like his movement pattern is not standard for a receiver, which is like, Partly the development, but partly kind of this creativity about the way he gets off the line of scrimmage. So that's a huge bonus. The Penn State hasn't had guy hasn't. I think Dotson was a little bit like that, but not necessarily in this way. Um, and, and he is that kind of route runner as well. You know, in terms of creating separation at every level of the field. And then when it comes to what he can get better at, the the major thing to me is size and strength and enhancing all of his qualities because he's a hundred and I think hundred and seventy eight pounds. I think he could be bigger and I think he could be stronger to get more acceleration and burst 
out of his body because he's he's fast, right? So he's got a good speed. Um, I wouldn't say elite speed. Like, they're not getting a complete wide receiver. He's got a big frame, but he's not big like Malik McClain. He's kind of the Goldilocks sort of receiver where he's six one and a half, hundred and seventy eight 178 pounds, isn't uh, a, a leaper, but is a, can jump, you know, so... Everything can be enhanced. That's why he's coming to Penn State. He needs, to, and this is the problem of him not enrolling at Penn State in in December is or in January is because he's not going to be uh, in the middle of Penn State's strength and conditioning program from now until the season. He's going to graduate from Kent State and then join the program. So he's going to have a, a, an abbreviated off season where he can work out directly with the strength staff. Because to me, that's the main thing he needs to transform himself into a you know, a, a bona fide number one receiver in the Big Ten. But that's the main thing. Is Malik McLean the number two? No. I wouldn't say that he's the number two. I would say that he is in the group that is the number two. Keandre Lambert Smith is one or two. Um and he's going the a lot of this uh is to help him as as a guy that didn't find his home on the outside. I, if you look at the guys they've been targeting, Tyrone Broden six seven turned out to be like six five and a half um you know uh the dante thornton six five mclean is six four they've been going after big receivers cephas is obviously an outside guy who by the way can run from the slot but um they're trying to protect uh they're trying to protect lambert smith with guys that are big and physical and can play through contact because lambert smith has struggled extremely throughout his career he is he has had a hard time playing through contact so Cephas and Lambert Smith are the two guys in this offense next year. McLean comes in as a as a bit of a project, but not one where you say this has a long way to go. It, it's more about refining what he does well because he is a bona fide star potential player. Six foot four, two hundred pounds. He can run routes like he can play from the slot. So he's got they're they're. When I'm doing profiles, right? So I'm looking at physical inhibitions that might say, okay, this will put you in this role. Or you, this guy can't really do this, so that limits him from being a number one, right? So a number one receiver can play in any situation, they can play in any alignment, and they can run any route effectively. McLean can do that at 6'4", and that is... I compared him to Johnny Dixon, coming in with a little bit raw in his positional skills, but has the, the ability to be a starter at Penn State. So if he does that in the first year, I would say that's a happy surprise. But I would say that it will be he'll be in a rotation with Trey Wallace. And that's kind of where they were last year, right? You've got two guys that you think are your number one and your number two, or one A, one B, and then you've got this fight going on at the other positions for snaps amongst talented players to raise the level of competition. Let's talk about those players now beyond if we call Cephas and Keandre Lambert Smith one and two, two and one, one A, one B, however you want to put it. You mentioned Malik McLean now is in that group. I just grabbed six names, T. Frank. They're either redshirt freshmen or sophomore or redshirt sophomore, so they're guys with lots of eligibility left. You mentioned one of them, Trey Wallace, but there's also Caden Saunders, Amari Evans, Liam Clifford, Christian Driver, Anthony Ivey. Who are the guys... Who's going to step up among those six? <laughs> I, I let, hold on. Let me look at my crystal ball. Just kidding. It's a Google Mini. Um, 
<laughs> I I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so this is going to this is a lot of this has to do with positional fit and where they are on the depth chart, not just on the the depth of the depth chart, but who they're behind. So if the I, I kind of broke out the roster into what I thought makes sense as who's playing the X, who's playing the Z, who's in the slot. And um, there's no there's no Parker Washington anymore. So there's not a guy that is dominating slot snaps. So Liam Clifford and Caden Saunders, there's an opportunity for one of those two guys to have some snaps behind Lambert Smith, who can, if you want, move him to the outside. He has played there before. You can move him to the Z. Um, and then on the flip side, if you're at the Z, now that you've got McLean there, I think you move Amari Evans back over behind... Um, Dante Cephas to where he was behind Mitchell Tinsley. And that means like, I'm not projecting he's going to have a ton of snaps unless something goes wrong with Cephas. I got Christian driver on that side of the depth chart and Tyler Johnson, just from their physical skill set. So driver and Johnson, I don't expect anything from them last year or from them next year. And then it becomes really Trey Wallace and McLean. And that's to me, those are, those are the names. So you've got Saunders, Clifford and Wallace of guys that are in the conversation to contribute next year. But the point about all of these guys is that they can fit in multiple positions. This is just my first look at the depth chart and kind of where I see their skills from high school or from other places and placing them and trying to make a logical sense of how they would fit best and how this offense could work best. But Biscuit Hagens is going to have a, a large say in that, much more than me, Jim. Unfortunately, I, I don't I don't know if you know this. I don't have a whole lot of power over the situation. So he might decide that he wants to put uh, McLean at the X because he's bigger. He's a good run blocker. And that is something that he might value more than the route running and everything else, which also fits at the other position. So it's all very fluid. Um, and that's going to create you know, the opportunities or the lack of opportunities for some of these young guys. I'd say the dark horses, as far as talent go, that I, I'm, I'm interested to see where they end up would be Driver and Tyler Johnson. Both of those guys, um, I think either physically or from their skill profile, have the chance to be very good players if things fall into place. And that's going to be the thing for Tyler Johnson. He needed to grow up a little bit, need to mature physically in his game. And Driver... He, playing the position really for the first time ever even in high school he never was given the chance to play receiver full-time uh real quick i want to get a scoop here on our show did james franklin offer you t frank the position before he brought in marcus Hagens? you know we talked and the financial package was just not quite what i was making at Blue White Illustrated, so I had to decline. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. You know, you think. I, I would think that, T. Frank. All right, that's it for quarter number two. Stick around. We are going to let you ask the questions of T. Frank next in quarter number three. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. 
Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. And it's quarter number three, which means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions We ask T. Frank at the end of the segment, T. Frank will pick out his favorite question. You notice I changed it. It's your favorite question, not necessarily the best one, T. Frank, okay? So it's entirely (laughs) on you, all right? And whoever had the best question, you will win the 409 tailgateclub.com prize pack, which includes their great coffee barbecue rubs. Fantastic prize. It goes to our winner. So that's a lot of pressure on you, T. Frank, to pick out that winner. Are you ready, my friend? Oh, I'm born ready. If there's one thing I can do, it is uh, sort good from bad questions at this point. I have lots of practice. (laughs) Which, just as an aside, we were talking about that off the air. But let's move on. Let's start with Brad in Percasey, who says... T. Frank, in this question, you're the new NCAA commissioner. What rule changes would you propose and why? He throws out his couple uh, suggestions. How about five years to play five seasons with no red shirts? How about players as employees? You're the commissioner, T. Frank. What do you got? Yeah, that second one. Like, let's just let's just stop pretending. You know, NIL is great, and NIL, as it was intended, you know, should be what we're doing, but we're not, and we're creating an unequal playing field while trying to prevent an unequal playing field. Like, this is the, this is the conversation I had with the, uh, the head of Success with Honor back almost a year ago at this point, of there are going to be different models. There's going to be player, there, there's going to be pay for play at certain places, right? And we've seen Florida release Jaden Rashada from his NIL deal because it wasn't what they promised. Um, you've seen Texas A&M lose like 10, 15, 20 players, uh, you know, in one off season. And that's not just because they don't like the coach. There's something else going on there. Uh, and then there are other places that are straight up cash homie, right, in recruiting, which you're not supposed to be doing, but you can't prove any of this stuff. And the, it's just too murky. There are too many gray areas. There's too much going on with the transfer portal and recruiting that is uh, causing more inequity when what you were trying to do is create equity for the players. So it's just, it's a mess. So let's just stop pretending that these players are not a large driving force in a billion-dollar engine that creates a lot of money. A lot. Billions of dollars just for the Big Ten. That's a lot of money, and then we should create, you know, an American-style capitalist system where they are a part of the uh, the wage-earning class that works for this money. 
So I know that it destroys the college model and everyone is sad about that, but it's the only thing at this point that makes sense. And it's where we're heading. So let's rip the Band-Aid off. The problem is the NCAA blew it years ago when they could have gotten out in front of all this paying the players. And it wouldn't have been the mess that NIL is. And I use the word mess. It's, It's messy. Yeah. But... The one thing I, I will, I guess, push back just a little bit to you, Frank, when you talk about uh, the it's the inequities, the lack of balance of power here. Well, that's the way it was anyway. Okay? Yeah, yeah. You, we're further, you had, we're further accelerating it. Is what's happening. Are we? Are we really, or are we potentially uh, balancing things a little bit? And my point is this. It was Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma. That was pretty much it. And the Clemson, Oklahoma, I'm just kind of throwing in at the end there. How could it be worse, (laughs) the lack of parity? Now, again, Texas A&M, you might call it a failed experiment. Miami's another one that's active in NIL. But it at least gives these other schools a chance, you know, we wouldn't have talked about those schools having a chance previously because Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, they locked up all the best players. Yeah. And it was a financial difference. The only difference was the financial money didn't go to the players. It went into the facilities and the program itself, and that's what yeah. drew the players. So I misspoke earlier when I said let's 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 make a uh, you know an American style capital. That that's not the model. That's a, that was a mistake on my part to say that because you're right. That would create uh, monopolies. That would create the uh, one or two places that get all of the players, and then everybody else would be scrambling for the rest. You know, uh, you have to. The problem is there is no selection process in high school to go to a college. There's there's no draft. There's no um, uniform, equitable way to distribute talent like there is in the NFL or in baseball or the NHL or any pro sport. So that's the real problem is there's just this fire hose of talent and it's it's like, you know those um, cash machines that blow all the money around and you just grab as much as you can? Yeah. Some some people are going in there with a, with a net and catching a lot of dollar bills and then some people are going there with tiny little hands. So, you know, I... I on that side, I don't know how to fix that, but I do know that this particular situation is not correct. Like what we're doing right now is not an area that is going to be sustainable for the long term. And I think it will start to level out. And part of it is the incident at Florida to understand uh, apparently this kid was promised $13 million and surprise, surprise, they didn't come through with it. But the fact is there are going to be people choosing to spend their money differently. $13 million all invested in one kid at quarterback who may or may not be a star player. Yeah. Wouldn't you be a little smarter? Some Another school might take that same $13 million and hand it out in increments of several hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but we're, we're, we're assuming really that everyone players. has the same amount of money. That's the point, is we're no. assuming everyone has, this, has roughly the same amount of money. Some teams aren't going to have any money, and they're not going to have any ability to to give money to players uh, for this particular style of recruiting, which has the excitement built into it of a free agency, but it's not equitable. Well, let's, let's forget 13 million. If I don't have 13 million, but I have 8 million 
mm-hmm. and give split it up among 20 really good players, each getting 400 grand, I have a lot less money I'm giving out than your 13 million, but I'll bet you I did better with my money than you did putting $13 million into one player. Now, my point there is, even if you have money, you got to be smart with how you spend it. I, I So I hear the excitement talking about like the allocation of resources, and I get it. I'm saying that when you allow unlimited money into any process, it ruins whatever process that is. It's not going to be that fun because it ultimately it is going to lead to a, a more stark pooling of talent in the same places it always has. And creating, I think, even more financial inequity than it does just the competitive inequity. Okay, let's move on, T. Frank. Obviously, a lot of conversation there on that topic. Uh, Let's go to Jason in Lancaster who said, if you had to choose between recruiting and development of talent, which was the reason for the firing of Stubblefield? Recruiting. I mean, just look at the results. Uh, They were in with a lot of guys, and I know NIL was a part of some of this, but it also wasn't a part of some of this where he he struggled to get guys interested to come play for him and he did a good job with the guys he had but there's a there's a ceiling on that if you can't get players into the program so i would say it is primarily recruiting let's go to eddie in somerset and by the way i agree with you eddie in somerset says who is the next great penn state linebacker among the next wave of linebackers I'm assuming he's not talking about Abdul. Like, Abdul Carter is not a part of this conversation, given he's not. We're talking 23 and 24. Right. He He's already there, Abdul Carter, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> Who's next? Is it, you know. So I would go with, I'm going to put my, my bet on Tony Rojas. But here's the thing is, like, he played defensive end, right? So, and he's 195 pounds. I don't, I don't have any positional information to back that up. But he is freaky fast, and he's got the frame to be the size you need. So that's going to give you the opportunity to do that. And he knows how to rush the passer. I think I do have some concerns overall about, you know, maybe some physicality in his game as a speed rusher that was just faster than everybody else and taking on blocks, things like that. But, you know, that's where Diaz and the coaching staff are going to, you know, teach. And as he was a running back, right? So one of the things that I think makes me feel better about those things. It's not It's not going to be a lack of desire for contact because he's a really good running back that played with physicality, put his head down, and would, would find the hole. But just the, the technique of taking on blocks with a proper shoulder, he's so fast and he's so good. He didn't learn any of that stuff, really. So that's going to be a, a, a development process for him. I don't think it'll be as quick as it was for Carter. All right, next up, Carl and Sunbury. Carl says, I look at Kalen King as the Joey Porter Jr. replacement as the number one cornerback. Do you see any safety that's the logical replacement as safety number one for Jair Brown, who took the place of uh, Jaquan Brisker the prior year? So I would I would disagree a little bit, and this is kind of a nitpicking thing. You, you are correct that Kalen King is the top dog, right? Um, I don't know how they're going to play, but they did get a really physical, uh, tenacious, powerful corner in Storm Duck. Somebody who's six foot, two hundred pounds, isn't the fastest guy in the world, but plays, you know, through the 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 receiver. So, if we're talking positionally, that guy replaces Joey Porter Jr. But in terms of this is the best corner on the roster, Kalen King. 
the problem is you if you're that good they're going to stop throwing at him next year. So he might not have the same impact as, as he did this year where he saw nine targets in one game. Um, to the question about safety, it's got to be Keaton Ellis. Like it, from a veteran standpoint and a guy that has the skills and has played multiple positions uh, in the secondary, it's got to be Keaton Ellis. But there's a lot of young, talented players behind him. If you wanted me to pick a guy that I think has unlimited potential or could be the next like the next great player based on his physical skills and his mental ability, uh, K.J. Winston. Kevin Winston comes immediately to mind out of uh, that northern Virginia, D.C. area. He, he, is, he is everything you want at the safety position. He's got size, strength, speed. He was, as a junior, he had, like, next-level intelligence reading the, the, the ball and knowing where to go. And, of course, Zaki Wheatley is another great player who I think got away with a lot of stuff last year, if I'm being totally honest. Gambled and bet a lot. Like, he was at the casino in the, a lot in the secondary, and it paid off for him. But, you know, those stopped coming throughout the season. His development overall from the position, I think, is another area that is going to um, tell the story of this position next year but from a leader he's got to make the plays next year it's Keaton Ellis you know he's going to be given the first opportunity to do so very good and I think an underrated return of a veteran to the team for next year T Frank all right that's it for quarter number three stick around quarter number four T Frank's going to name our winner hey guys this is Andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. It's quarter number four of our show, which means, T. Frank, the pressure is on. You need to name a winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. We're going to go Carl in Sunbury, and I do want to give an apology to Brad from Percocy. We spent a lot of time on his question, but I do believe that that got an assist from Jim from Berwick, so that was not purely uh, a Brad from Percocy win. I liked Carl's question about the secondary, so we're going to go with Carl. All right, very good, and I will apologize to Brad also. I was the one who extended that conversation. <laughs> it's it is an interesting topic uh you know well he brad asked a general question and you and i just went down that nil uh path which is 
a never-ending path, by the way, yes. and a topic I'm sure we're going to be hitting quite a bit during the off-season. There's so many places to go with it. And, and, and you way, say a path, and it is absolutely a path down a deep. It gets darker and darker and deeper and denser the farther you walk down that path. So it's not only is it endless, it becomes a pressure cooker through the entire conversation. It reminds me of uh, a saying uh, a guy I worked for years ago used to say about something obviously different than this, but he's, it's a path you travel, not a destination you reach. And that's yeah. what NIL is. <laughs> it's, it's an ongoing path. All right. T. Frank, in quarter number two, we took our deep dive into the wide receiver position. Now it's time to talk about our favorite position, which is offensive line. And for the first time, I think, in a long time, people are actually optimistic about the offensive line going into the next season. Is that optimism warranted? Yes. Yeah, I think, um, and not just warranted, but you should have confidence in that optimism. Um, This is the thing about offensive line, is that Penn State has one bona fide top five superstar player. Um, you're not going to have five of those guys next year. But you are going to have a level of play that is acceptable across the board. And this is where I make mistakes sometimes. Is like you look, at the, you look at the individual play, and you see the mistakes by one or two individuals on every play, and you go, okay, this is just another offensive line that, you know, they do some good things, but I can see all the flaws and all the warts. But then you have to step back, and you have to look at the thing as a whole and go, okay, this is better than the average offensive line that I've seen before. This is something that is different than your normal offensive line. And for average people or people that aren't watching every play three times and, you know, is it inside zone, outside zone, man, or counter, and they don't care about any of those things, they just care about the results, you probably have an easier time seeing that than I do of, okay, these guys are making a difference on every single play. But that doesn't mean that everyone across the board here is going to be all Big Ten. You might have two guys, but you're not going to have superstars left to right. It's about the the overall production of the unit playing together. When you say potentially two all Big Ten guys, obviously you mean uh, Fashnu. Do you also mean Landon Tengwall? No, I just mean one of those guys that we have optimism for might step up and play at that level. And then you're going to get the high-end optimism of what you're expecting. What I mean here of Penn State fans should be optimistic is that for the first time in a long time, there's competition at every single position, barring left tackle. But also, they have a they have a backup left tackle in, in case something happens there. But a left guard, Landon Tangle is not going to be handed the position. J.B. Nelson played well last year. The, the, the team really likes him. Center's a bit thin, but you got a veteran guy coming back that you expect to take the next step. He um, you know performed well despite injuries last year. Right guard, you could have up to three guys competing for that position. And right tackle, you have the same thing. So... There is no there is no acceptable situation for Penn State, in my opinion, where you have a guy that starts that, let's say, struggles with pass protection or can't run block. You know, so you you should have the depth of talent and the competition to raise the level so that everyone can execute their assignment most times correctly. And there aren't guys on the roster that go, well, we know he can't do this because we've seen him struggle doing that. That should be over and that should set a baseline that is 
a strength of the offense, you know, because you don't have that receiver. We talked about receiver. We're still fitting those pieces together, wondering where the best are going to you know, rise to the surface. Running back an offensive line, you know what you're getting from these groups this next year, and it's it's quality play. It should be. That's the To me, that is the standard. I now have um, a certain level of expectation, and I think it's reasonable, and if it's not met, that is a disappointment. That's not a well things broke this way or that way. It would take a massive amount of injuries to me to say that this group doesn't come together and play well. Let's go to the right tackle position where Caden Wallace missed the last few games with injury. He would you'd be consider him the incumbent or should we be looking for Drew Shelton maybe to compete for that spot too? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that um, my expectation to start with is that Caden Wallace will be the starter. But kind of like Bryce Effner rotated at right tackle, even when Caden Wallace was playing well last year, they still went in a two-man rotation at tackle because Effner had earned that starting job, essentially, is what James Franklin said. We look at him, we have six offensive line starters and two play at right tackle. Drew Shelton played well enough last year that he earned the right to be in the conversation. He was not as good as the billboards essentially like the talk about him was that he was he still gave up some really bad pressures he still made some mental mistakes and that's okay like that's okay they won games with a freshman left tackle that was like 285 pounds that's impressive like that's really good but the offense as a whole was making up for some of his mistakes and some of his mistakes didn't hurt because quarterback Sean Clifford got out of the way so he needs to improve that level, but that puts him in a situation heading into his second year with an optimistic eye, which I think is reasonable given what he did in his first year, that barring injury, I always got to say that barring injury, he should be at a level where he can compete for snaps at some position. Um, it's not just tackle. He could play guard. You know, if they if they want to get him on the field, if he becomes a priority for the team to get on the field, he could play guard. You know, that's that's not out of the question or he wins the starting tackle job, or he's he's rotating in at right tackle. But yeah, I my initial expectation is that Wallace is not going to lose his starting job, and you're going to have a rotation there between the two, and the young guy is going to come in and play a significant amount of steps, but not be the starter. The assumption is Hunter Norzad will make the shift to center. Is that the correct assumption? Yeah. And what kind of adjustment will he need to make going from guard to center? I think it's his natural position. That's where I so he played right tackle at Cornell and it's a more natural believe it or not it's a more natural transition to center than it is to guard and this is the same same thing we saw with Juice Scruggs where he was a good guard but he ended up being a much better center. So Norzad at center, I think, makes a lot of sense to me in terms of his quickness, his intelligence, his aggressiveness um, and maybe not his outright violent physicality like he he's much more he, he doesn't have the same power as a Sal Wormley or Vega Yuane right so he's much more of a center and he was playing out of position last year because uh Wormley was the guy or, uh, because yeah Sal Wormley <laughs> I'm getting all confused because Juice Scruggs was the guy at center so this is a good move for him and I think it fits him very well and fans should understand that like these first off he was hurt last year if you go back to the Ohio game, he got rolled up on, and I that held him out for a long time, and I don't believe he was fully healthy when he came back. So I think we should see a much stronger player and a guy who has the quickness, the physicality, and the aggression to be a good center and combo block and, and get reach blocks and stuff like that. 
Sal Warmly is the incumbent at right guard. You had mentioned about the competition on the inside that J.B. Nelson might be a competitor with Tengwall at left guard. Is Warmly the guy at right guard, or is that just going to be an open position with J.B. Nelson, Ioane? Yeah, and, and don't forget Alex Birchmeyer. You know, so he's going to factor in, it, I think, at some point somewhere. And I don't know that he's going to be on the field, but he's going to get his four games for sure. Um, and where they want him long term and whether they want him at tackle or not, um, or just if he if he forces, I could see him forcing his way on the field. It would be an extreme situation, but he could be that good. Sal Wormley, I think, is the guy that has the most to prove. He really struggled in pass protection last year, and that's kind of what I was alluding to. Now, guys struggled in other areas. Like Caden Wallace, has, he can't be an incomplete player anymore because they'll bring in Shelton for those positions where he needs to come out of the game. Wormley didn't have that. He was the full-time starter last year, and they really like Vega Ioane. They really, really like Vega. There was one time I was at a camp over the summer this past season, and James Franklin was watching the offensive line, and there was some parents of some players who were there. They were standing around watching the drills, and Franklin turns around and says, look at this guy, and Vega was standing next to him. He's like, how old do you think this guy is? And everyone's like, you know, what you do in that situation is you don't answer because you don't know if, if you're supposed to. <laughs> And he goes, this guy's 18 years old, and he's 335 pounds. He looks like he's 25. This dude's crazy. Like, they really like Vega. So, in if he takes the step, and he proves that he can pass protect, and he could be a run blocker, Sal Wormley isn't guaranteed anything. And that's, the again, that's the exciting part that you've got multiple guys at that, at that guard position that could step up and take it. Now, Wormley has the advantage, because he is talented enough to stay there and hold these guys off, but he's got to do it. Like there's, there's not any. Oh well, he's our best, our fifth best guy, and he's got X, Y, and Z that he does well, and that's enough to keep him on the field. That to me, that shouldn't fly this year. Well, remember though, too, a year ago he missed a season, and we were told we missed out on a really good player. They were very high on warmly yeah. coming into the 22 season. So that's the case. But you've got some other names. You mentioned Birchmeyer among the true freshmen, but there's also Jay Van Williams, uh, who Pennsylvania high school football fans know very well. Is he a yeah. threat to get on the field as a freshman? Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, tackle or guard. So I did a, a roster reset at Blue White Illustrated, and I put him at left guard just because I, I thought Alex Birchmeyer is a little more polished a little more athletic. Um, that's not true. A little more, uh, he knows how to use his athleticism right now a little bit better in terms of pass protection. He's just a more advanced player. Javen Williams is the one of the most talented athletically players I've seen come to Penn State, and he's a devastating run blocker. So long term, I could see him being the left guard for the team. Um, but at that at this point, I, I put him on the interior because I figured one one player at right tackle. They're not going to have six guys at right tackle. But he might like I fully expect both of those guys to start at tackle, and then they'll decide later on. So I was doing a little bit of prognosticating there, and I just want to address the the left guard position quickly. Landon Tengwall had surgery to end his season, right? So he had season ending surgery uh, in the middle of October. He talked to Greg Pickle during the bowl game and said, I don't want to promise anything about being there in the spring. So anytime a guy is not fully healthy for winter conditioning, I'm not going to give them the starting position right away. So that's kind of why I have that I, that per, right now. 
Okay, fair point there, T. Frank, but that is it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.